Hello, everybody. Welcome to A Year Ago Today. I'm your host, Tyla Fowler, and I'm so excited about sharing this week's episode with you. This conversation with my friend and colleague, Alicia Morrow, was really special for me. First, you're going to hear in the conversation, I talk about that I've been dreaming about having Alicia on the show since before the show ever existed. So having the conversation was a dream come true for me in and of itself. On top of that, there is an element of this conversation that was a dream come true for me in another way. And that's something that feels both exciting and vulnerable to share. Alicia and I began the conversation talking about her anniversary, what she was going through a year ago today. And as we dove into her story, we really found ourselves in a much bigger conversation about racism in America and about how racism really plays into maternal health outcomes, which is an issue that I feel really passionately about. Neither Alicia nor I knew that the conversation was going to be headed in this direction when we started, and I think that we were both really surprised to find ourselves right in the thick of it without having really prepared to talk about this issue. It was such a delight for me to discover in Alicia a woman that I could have this kind of conversation with, and it's also vulnerable for me and I imagine for her, though I've not asked her about it, to put this out there. It's um, talking about racism publicly is something that I am leaning into more and more as I become more and more educated about it. And there's also a very real fear of saying the wrong thing or unintentionally doing harm through the way that I've communicated around such a sensitive and important topic. So I'm going to ask for your grace this week as you listen. And I want to ask you to open up to where you may or may not be having the conversations in your life that are challenging to have because you're afraid of not doing it right. It's such a joy and a pleasure to dive into the deep waters with someone you respect and care about and that's what I really got from this conversation more than anything else how incredibly delightful and surprising it is to discover an ally through conversation and through sharing so I'm really excited to bring you this episode today with Alicia. I'll tell you just a little bit more about her. Alicia is a lover of all things soulful, beautiful, healthy, and luxurious. She's really passionate about helping other women up-level and elevate their life by sharing inspired tips and tricks for beautiful living. She's a trained gourmet raw food chef and a holistic health coach and an international leader for women who are ready to step into their most gorgeous, dreamy, and soulfully luxurious life. I'm really excited to share this conversation. So excited. I think I've said it three times now. And I really would love to hear your feedback. Feel free to reach out and let me know what lands, what resonates, what activates and triggers you. You can send an email to a year ago podcast at gmail.com or follow us on social media at a year ago podcast. Happy listening.
Hi, Alicia. Hi, Tyler. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you. Mm. I'm excited to be here. So, I'll acknowledge for anybody else listening, I'd like to leave this in and just give you some context that I have been manifesting Alicia's presence on this podcast since this podcast was born. It makes me giggle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so excited because before this podcast even existed, as I was going through humans that I knew I wanted to talk with, I knew I wanted to talk with you, and I knew I wanted to talk about what we're here to talk about today. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can I ask what, why? Why, like, why did you know that? How did you know that? Um. Well, I felt connected to you. Since I knew who you were, like, I guess, meaning since I encountered your embodiment in the world, the first time I ever met you, mm-hmm. yeah, I immediately felt such a strong resonance with who you are and what you embody. Mm-hmm. And I believe you were with child when we met. Yeah, I was about five months pregnant. Yeah. <gasps> oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. so I have felt connected to you and to this birth you know since since you all came into my field (laughs) and then this this podcast is my baby that Sally midwifed for me (laughs) and then postpartum dueled me for a long time I feel like (laughs) (laughs) so I'm tickled that you're here. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I want to invite us to take three sensual breaths together. (laughs) And then when you land, will you share with me in one word how you feel? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Great. I'm going to let you lead the sensual breaths, if that's okay. Sure thing. Sure thing. Okay. Okay. Nice inhale. In one word, how I'm feeling right now. (laughs) The word that's coming forward is tingly. (laughs) Um, Like I've got little tingles in my 
in my feet and my toes. And um, there's just sort of a lot of that sensation kind of rising up my legs and my arms. So that's, that's what I'm noticing right now. That's really how I'm feeling, um, which is not what I expected to come out of my mouth. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, tingly. I'm feeling that a little too. Yeah. Maybe it's the breathing. <laughs> I think it probably contributed, definitely. We oxygenated a little bit. <laughs> or a lot, yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. So, I'm interested. You said that's not how you thought you'd feel. Yeah. Not how I thought I'd feel. Well, number one, not always a feeling that I would <laughs> reference for myself that I, I feel tingly. Mm. Um, but also just because we sort of tossed around some ideas of different things that I could bring forward in today's call to really talk about where I was a year ago today. Um, and I don't think that I was feeling very tingly a year ago. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. And yet, at the same time, I can honestly say that a year ago today, after there being so many years of there just not being any flow or movement, I made really big movement. I made a really big decision. And it's almost like it opened up the floodgates of movement for me. And so I'm sure there were lots of tingles at the time. (laughs) Just may not have been what I was paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. What were you paying attention to? Um, I think at the time, I was more paying attention to the reactions in the room. I was paying attention to I think just this hmm um. The word that wants to come forward right now is just this really clear truth inside of me that was ready to finally be spoken out loud. And so it was like it had been rattling inside of me, like, say it, do something, choose, make, you know, make a decision, something, something, something. And in that moment, I did. And it was like... Um, feeling it reverberate off the walls in the room and how it was impacting the people that I was in the room with. And, um, and also just being really aware of how it felt in my body to finally speak it, how scary it was, but also um, in a way how liberating it was too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
Will you please name what we're talking about? What was going on in your life a year ago today? A year ago today, I was sitting in a couple's therapy session. It was myself, the couple's therapist, and my husband. And if you had to describe how you were feeling then in one word, what would you say? Anxious. Mm-hmm. Tingly and anxious, very closely related. Yeah, that same feeling that, you know, just so much kind of rushing in the body. Um, and I don't necessarily, I think tingling might feel a little bit better than anxiety, but it's that same, like there's a lot of movement um, happening inside. Um, yeah. Mm. So, you know, when you and I met, I was five months pregnant. And at that point in time, I had been married for almost seven years. And um, even during my pregnancy, and I actually think um, when you and I met, I had a lot of um, very clear insights at the time that there were some really serious issues in my relationship and that I mean this had sort of been the theme all along like something needed to shift Mm -hmm. and I had been begging my husband like can we talk about this can we go talk with somebody about this can we and he just didn't want to do that for whatever his reasons were he just wasn't open to doing that and things were really sort of mounting and building and here I am in this particularly vulnerable place being you know quite pregnant at the time and um, knowing so clearly that my life was going to change forever with you know becoming a mother and having a baby and um, everything that sort of traditionally comes along with that and really not not seeing or feeling his interest in a lot of that I think he was sort of convincing himself that things things weren't going to change or they didn't necessarily have to change and I was sort of like um hello (laughs) (laughs) they're going to they are they are already and it was just really clear that we weren't on the same we weren't on the same page. And um, two months later, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in the middle of summer, um, two days after my baby shower, actually, I came down with pneumonia. Mm. So <clears throat> at that point in time, I'm like seven and a half, eight months pregnant. And the pneumonia was really intense. Um, I essentially didn't sleep for about three and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- when you're not pregnant, that's debilitating. But really, when you're when you're pregnant and like really pregnant, it's um, it's life threatening, really. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the physical body goes through so many changes um, to make room for this 
person that's growing inside of you. The organs push out of the way. The the rib cage changes shape. Like so much, like just to accommodate for this thing that's happening inside of you. And so my rib cage had already changed a lot, but with essentially three to four weeks of nonstop coughing, um, I was certain I had actually broken ribs. I was in so much pain and um, couldn't sleep. I couldn't lay down. I just, it was just, I couldn't find any way to be comfortable. And then um, I had a very heated conversation with my husband about something and he was essentially threatening to leave the relationship and it hit me like a freight train I just thought well here I am I'm due in three and a half weeks I've been so sick I'm so sleep deprived I'm so pregnant and now this is happening and it really just pushed my health to a uh, breaking point and my next prenatal appointment, at that stage in pregnancy, you see your care provider pretty much every week to get blood tests and urine tests to be sure everything's good and happy and normal and the baby's, you know, head down. And, and um, I went in for my checkup, still not knowing if I had a partner, if I was going to have a partner, um, and received the news that I had... Um, my body was going into preeclampsia. And that is a life-threatening condition. The blood pressure starts to creep up towards stroke level. Um, The body starts dumping protein through the urine. It puts the baby at risk, but in particular, it puts the mother's life at risk. They don't know what brings it on. Stress obviously doesn't (laughs) help anything. (laughs) Stress, perhaps? Um, stress on the body, stress on the soul. Jeez Louise. I'm, (laughs) you were going through so much. Yeah. And, um, at the time when that argument happened, you know, right before I received the news, Hey, you need to go check into the hospital. Um, the time I, I, when this argument happened between my husband and I, I thought to myself, well, things can never go back to, wait, to the way they were before. And that's a good thing. Like Tell something, me. Something has broken here. Something has um, busted open. We are being forced to confront the things that aren't working in our relationship. And we are either going to work through this or the relationship is not going to continue. But either way, I know that we're not going to backslide into pretending uh. that everything's fine when it's not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And as stressful and painful as it was, um, I was it, there was just this, like, there's no turning back now. And I was happy about that. Uh-huh. Like relieved. I won't say happy, but in a way relieved about that. And, um, and heartbroken, I'm sure. I mean, is that me projecting onto you? (laughs) I think the heartbreak had been pretty persistent. Uh Uh-huh, you had already done that part. Yeah, I think that the heartbreak had been there for a long time. Um, and Mm. frankly, if I'm, if I'm really honest with myself and everybody who's listening, I think that, 
heartbreak had kind of been my normal. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know or expect anything different. And so to be in a relationship for that long and to have been feeling that way, it was just sort of like, well, but this is just the way it is. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be lonely. It's like, this is just what it is. And I'm just going to do the best I can. I'm going to, you know, do my personal work on me. And if I work on me, it will shift the dynamic in the relationship. And like, we will find a way through this. I was so willing to show up and to do my part. And I thought that I had married somebody that was willing to do the same. Mm. Um, mm. so I go into my prenatal appointment and they give me the news you are now going into preeclampsia we, we can't help you anymore so this beautiful I mean I'm, I'm sure so many women can relate to this but like this beautiful you know water birth candlelit water birth with <laughs> you know like peaceful music in the background mm. and being able to have uh, this beautiful birth experience just went right out the window. Mm. And I remember leaving the appointment in tears and calling my husband and getting his voicemail and just saying, I need you to call me. It's an emergency. And he called me back and I said, I have to check into the hospital. Um, because this, you know, this is what's going on. And, and he, he said, okay, he said, okay. So then things started to kind of move pretty fast. And I'm, I arrive at the hospital still thinking I'm going to be able to have somewhat of a a normal birth. You know, I'm going to be able to walk around if I need to, I'm going to be able to get up and use the toilet I'm like I'm going to be able to do at least kind of these basic things and when I arrived the first thing that they told me is like you're you're going to be bed bound the entire time you're here and it was like oh I hadn't expected that I didn't know that that's what this was going to be I wasn't aware of how serious the situation was and that I mean, in a way, that was probably a good thing. But um, immediately, I just felt like the any control that I thought I had or any say that I thought I had about the kind of birth that I was going to have, it was really snatched <laughs> away pretty quickly. And over the next four days, I was in the hospital, and they were trying to keep me alive by a lot of intravenous drugs and um, magnesium to try to control my blood pressure and keep me from having a stroke. Um, I, I had catheters and tubes and fetal monitor and a blood pressure cuff that was literally going off every 10 minutes. I, to this day, whenever I see one of those, I just want to like take a sledgehammer to those things. Um, and they tried um, four different methods of induction to try to get my body to go into labor. And 
I think part of it was just with all of the emotional stuff that was going on and then being thrust into this medical environment with not a lot of very um, sensitive care. Um, having in those four days, I had eight different eight different doctors come through. So it wasn't even a consistent doctor that I was working with. Um, some very invasive, um, traumatic procedures that were performed on my body um, to try to, you know, get my cervix to dilate and, and start labor. Um, I think also because it was my first baby and a lot of women, it, their, their bodies take a little longer to kind of go into that process and keep it going. Um, by the end of the fourth day, my liver was failing, my kidneys were failing, and my blood pressure, which you would normally expect to go down when somebody is resting, it just kept creeping higher and higher and higher. And um, the morning of the fifth day at 7 a.m., doctor came in and said, this is not going to end well for either you or the baby. We need to go in and get the baby. Um, we're going to do a cesarean. And I'm going to have you, you're going to be on the table in 20 minutes. So mm. went into that. And... Um, I won't go into a lot of the details about that, but it was it was traumatic, very very traumatic, very very traumatic, um, including, you know, vomiting on the operating table. My they're having a really hard time just getting my son out, even through a cesarean. They had a really hard time getting him out. Um, uh, and then everything that they do when they do a cesarean, um, it's very traumatizing to the body. I, I blacked out at one point in time. I don't know how I got off the operating table and back onto the bed. And then when I was, uh, the operation was complete, my son had um, inhaled some meconium when he came out. And so he had been rushed to the NICU and um, and then I was told I couldn't see him and I couldn't hold him. And it was like, I've just gone through all of that and now I can't even see my baby. Like, are, <laughs> are you kidding me? And I just kind of lost it. Um, and the rest of the day, I was really just sort of in and out of consciousness. My husband would bring photos and little videos of my son, but... I didn't get to see him for about 48 hours. Um, and a lot of that was just because my life was still in extreme danger. Um, and uh, I was in the hospital for three more days. And, you know, so all of this is going on and my little body's been through a lot. And now it's like, okay, now you're a mom. Go. <laughs> was like how does anybody do this um so there wasn't really a lot of time or space to digest the experience to try to 
put the pieces together about what the heck had happened. No, because now you got to keep a human alive full time. That's right. And, <laughs> and you were operating on like, what, 20%? <laughs> I would say it might have been more like five. Oh, God. I can imagine. I can't imagine. I mean, I can and I can't at the same time, you know? It's a really powerful thing when... Because I was watching this happen. Like, my will is so strong. I think... I, I don't really know a woman who can't say that. Like, the will is really strong. And I was so clear. Like, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to have this baby. He's going to be healthy. We're going to get through this. And yet my body was going in a completely different direction. And I had no control over it. It didn't matter what I did or didn't do. My body was doing its own thing. And the amazing, brilliant, wise thing that my body did while I was in the hospital, <laughs> this is pretty amazing, is it started retaining water and I retained I'm not kidding in that week in the hospital my body ballooned up over 80 pounds of water what so <laughs> I wish there, you could see my face right now <laughs> I looked like Jabba the Hutt I mean it was like I've seen some photographs of myself in the hospital I don't oh. even know who that person is and I remember coming home and looking down at my legs and my hands and just being it was like I was in somebody else's body and I was already so sort of like shell-shocked and uh, disoriented it was like I don't this is so weird and in the first 10 days out of the hospital I lost 65 pounds of water wow. so my body like ballooned up and then, you know, dropped it um, in a Why really short period of time. That? I think it did that to save my life. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like you were being protected. <laughs> yeah, and I laugh because my son's name is Ocean. Oh, my goodness. So I laugh and say, well, I did give birth to an ocean. <laughs> and so, you know, here I am, <sighs> the water queen. Um, but that's just... Um, extraordinary had you yes it is extraordinary and I'm wondering had you already picked his name I had you okay I'm just sitting over here being like wow look at what you called in <laughs> <laughs> you called in the ocean and you got it this birth experience mm. are you kidding me yeah I'm so grateful you're alive number one me too thank you <laughs> yeah um, and I know you've done a lot of processing around this experience. It's been three years. My son turned three just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And may I share something that's present for me that feels, um, not directly about your experience, but what I'm feeling in a larger sense as I listen to you. Yeah. This last weekend, I volunteered at the Decolonizing Birth Conference, mm. and it was all about 
maternal health outcomes for black and brown women. Mm -hmm. And as I'm listening to you talk, Mm -hmm. I'm realizing how dehumanizing it is, the way birth is treated a lot of times, and that we've, we've normalized it. And in hearing your description this one-on-one description of your experience, even though I've been talking about it, maternal health outcomes and how much poorer they are for women of color. Yeah. I'm thinking like how much more often this kind of thing happens to women in brown and black bodies. I am certain that had I been a black woman or a brown woman, I would be dead. Oh, Because I don't think that they would have... Um, and I already wasn't feeling very listened to. I wasn't feeling very um, respected. I didn't feel like I was being treated like a a person, let alone a woman. Um, I think that the intentions of all of the doctors and the nurses and the PAs who were working with me, I I think their intention was to keep me alive. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time they're going to look at my physical body like it's a machine. Mm -hmm. And this is what we need to do to keep the machine going. Um, I understand all of that. And, and I respect it. I'm here today. Um, They, you know, they did their job. But I also know that women of color are often not, they're listened to even less. Well, there's less. There's less of a vested interest in America in keeping women of color alive. Yeah. You know, we, white women are valued differently. I don't think that people of color are actually seen as fully human in our culture. Well, I'm really glad that we're talking about this. Mm -hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. And I know that because I've been doing some anti-racism investigations yeah. <laughs> into my own soul, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there are things here that I didn't know were here that now that I'm looking at them are rearranging the way I see the world we're living in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And listening to you, I'm also realizing that that, like, again, I maybe I'm projecting onto you, but I'm like, God, your, your world must have just felt so rearranged by that experience and that, that big of a trauma and that much responsibility all at one time. Yeah. I think that having a baby does that anyway. But being in a place where your life is so close to ending... You're so close to death. And what the physical body goes through in that process and what it has to do to actually um, find balance and homeostasis and true function again, that's a really intense journey. Mm -hmm. And to do that in the context of, you know, being a new mother... Um, being in a relationship that you're not sure is going to continue. Mm. Um, All of that. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, you know, we're touching in on 
the privilege that white women enjoy and the systemic and institutionalized racism Mm -hmm. um to also i mean if i had been a black woman or a brown woman an indigenous woman i really believe that all of those systems that are working against me. I mean, that just adds to the stress. It adds to the poor health outcomes. It adds to lack of accessibility, lack of treatment options, lack of humanity from the caregivers. Yeah. I think that my white privilege is one of the factors that kept me here. One I mean, there were, I think there were a few there. I had some really strong uh, advocates that were helping me. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a big, obviously just a, a, a life-changing event. And in the context of what we're talking about here today, and me choosing to end my 10 plus year marriage a year ago. Mm, Today, literally today. In the context of all of that going on, you know, having gone through that birth experience, um, it really, I don't know that every woman would have experienced this, but it was definitely my journey. Um, it's liter- I, It just completely decimated me. It just completely took everything I had to get through that and, you know, be holding on by my fingernails out the other side. And I was not capable of playing the role that I had been playing in Uh, my relationship. Yeah. That birth required me to, like, I just, I couldn't function. I couldn't go up and down the stairs. I couldn't, I I couldn't do so many things. And I had been playing the role of the one who did everything in the relationship. and to literally be so incapacitated that that wasn't even an option. I couldn't even think about doing those things. A lot of what you're talking about is emotional labor. Like, I I understand there's a physical part of it too, but as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, and think about if you've been playing a certain emotionally managerial role in a relationship, Mm -hmm. I guess this is what I feel like I've gone through. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then you can't play that role. So it's like now not only are like all the things not getting done, but also there's this total shift in the emotional landscape. Yeah. I couldn't be the, the caretaker. I couldn't be the one that kept things moving forward. I couldn't, I couldn't do those things. I needed somebody to actually Mm -hmm. switch roles with me. I need somebody to be able to play that role for me. 
Yeah, he needed to be nursed and fed and encouraged and held. Yeah, because not only could I not play that role, but I had to muster up, you know, the 2% capacity that I had for my son. Yeah. It had to be channeled there. It couldn't be channeled anywhere else. And... um, literally a matter of life and death yes (laughs) yeah there and and not an option for it to be any different so I can look back at everything that happened and I can see there's such a perfection in it it's not pleasant at all like let's be clear (laughs) yeah Yeah, I don't want to do over (laughs) want to do that again Mm -hmm. um But there was such a perfection that was playing out in it because it was sort of, you know, things could not go back to the way that they had been. And this is a very different way forward. And either this is going to work and people are going to step in and step up and we're going to get through this. Or they're not. And um, it turned out to be the latter. Yeah. It turned out to be the latter. And, and powerfully enough, I think it took me another, uh, probably a year for me to really see that so clearly. Um, and I think part of it was I was just doing my best to get through the day, one day at a time. And I was doing my best to enjoy what was happening in my life, breastfeeding my son, um, watching his little face and his little body change every day and getting into this new rhythm of, right, this is my life today. I'm not running a business and I'm not working with clients and I'm not doing this and that and this and that and 25 other things. I'm literally just breastfeeding 15 times a day and trying to take naps and keep up with diaper changes. Like that's my life. Um, Yeah. And it sounds like you're lucky enough to be set up to have that time too, instead of having to go right back to work or something like that, you know? Yeah, I had about, um, I actually think I did go back to work uh, very part-time because I work from home, mm-hmm. but I did go back to work and um, I think I actually, he was born end of August and I think by November and December I was actually putting things back out in the world for mm-hmm. my community and I know that definitely by the following February, March, I was engaged and active in doing things. Uh-huh. I hear you. You, you got back to work pretty quick. I, I did. I'm not, <laughs> not full time, but it was like, right, somebody yeah. has to do this. And I think what I was wanting to do is to reframe us in the context of the larger conversation about what a privilege it is. Um, yeah. Not to have been in a situation where trying to recover from this big thing you also had to be able to go right back to work to afford to live yeah I don't know that I would have been physically able to return to work for at least a month Mm. 
but you know we don't have maternity leave yeah. in the U.S. There's there's a handful of companies that are now offering two or four weeks, but if something like this happens, I think it's just crazy <sighs> to think that a woman can turn around and and do that. Yeah. Um, and I did have the finances to be able to take that time off. That was something that I had planned for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also recognize that not every woman has that option either. Well, or that even if she could plan for it, there's no way it would actually be feasible given what she's working with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Which part? I don't know, whichever part is most present. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess around being so aware of your privilege, given the context of everything you've been through and what you know it felt like. This feeling into what's true mm. for me. Um, it's interesting. I, I think in the past I probably would have gone into feeling guilty mm-hmm. about that. It's not actually present for me at all. Mm-hmm. What is what is present for me is a really strong feeling of the importance of giving black and brown women a voice. Mm -hmm. And um, I firmly believe that we need more women of color who are in leadership positions because when black and brown women benefit, all women benefit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily work the other way around. Mm -mm. Uh, So... Yeah, that's that's what I would say about that. I think that we need more black and brown women in leadership positions. I think white women need to take a back seat. We need to listen more. We need to follow more. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to learn about our privilege. We need to learn about the ways that we are unknowingly violent, emotionally violent. Mm-hmm against women of color and it happens all the time every day in subtle and not so subtle ways I see it all the time yeah as soon as you know what you're looking for it's everywhere it is everywhere yeah yeah it is everywhere the analogy I keep using in conversations about this it's like fish not realizing that they swim in water right it's like white people not realizing that they swim in white white supremacy Mm mm-hmm and then all of a sudden when someone's like, hey, there's water here. Did you know? You're like, whoa, what is this stuff? It's all around me. <laughs> it's it all around me. It changes It's my inside of me. It's yeah. changed how I see things. It's changed how I see and relate to people. Yeah. 
the fact that I don't even have to be aware of those things is where my privilege sits. I can choose whether or not to do something about it, whereas women of color, they don't have a choice. They are dealing with it every day. Yeah, from the day they're born. Mm -hmm. And that's where my work as a privileged racist white woman, I I will call myself a racist Mm -hmm. because that's what I've grown up in. Mm -hmm. And um, it means something to be white. A lot of times we don't know that or recognize that. And it's not always a great thing. Um, But until I take my last breath, that's my work. (laughs) Amen to that. I'm having the wildest experience in this moment that this podcast just became everything I want it to be. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. And that I know that I summoned you here. (laughs) (sighs) And that it took three plus years. And now, look, here you are. Here I am. (laughs) That's so cool. Oh. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I think it's been really good for me to um, almost mark this one-year anniversary by having this conversation. Um, yeah. And so that's... Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, you finish. Well, what I was thinking about, you know, I started this conversation talking about a year ago today, making the declaration that I was complete, I was done in my marriage. I I did not come to that decision lightly. I did not, you know, decide one day to throw a temper tantrum and, you know, be done. Um, I had literally turned over every stone. I had done everything I knew to do. And in the end, I realized that my needs were not being met, were not going to be met, and that it was actually okay for me to want more than what was present there. And I hold that relationship and everything that happened there, everything that's still happening, you know, we, we have a son together. So it's not like the relationship's over and we've moved on. We, we are in constant communication and will be until Ocean's, you know, 19, if not longer. I mean, for the rest of his life, there's going to be marriages, there's going to be babies. Yeah. It's going to be a lot. Of, there's going to be funerals. There's going to be a lot of things. So um, we're in an ongoing thing. And 
<laughs> call their relationship. Call their relationship. <laughs> it's just trying to find a new identity mm-hmm. and a new way forward. And um, so he's your ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-husband? He is my soon-to-be ex-husband. We are in the, <laughs> to give it a sports metaphor, we're in like the fourth quarter <laughs> <laughs> of the divorce process. Mm. And it's been colorful. It's been... That's such a nice way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, it's been very eye-opening. It's been mm. very confirming to me that this is the right decision. In fact, this this has been, you know, next to Ocean's birth, this is one of the biggest turning points in my life. I mean, this whole chapter is like my life was on one trajectory and it's just completely jumped tracks now. It's something is totally different. And, you know, what I was thinking about is, you know, we started this conversation with me talking about making this declaration and how there had not been any movement. There had been a lot of stuckness and a lot of how do we get things going? What, why are we stuck? What are we bumping at? Like, oh, Mm -hmm. why isn't this working? Mm -hmm. And then when I made that decision and I said, I love you so much, but I'm done. I I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, there was this recognition and it's been deepening and deepening and deepening the longer that we are or or the more that we are untangling our lives and the more that we are separating and becoming individuals again Um, that there's a degree of freedom there's a degree of liberation there's a degree of sovereignty that's really coming forward for me and me making that decision of this this isn't good for me anymore. I can't keep doing this. This is hurting me. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. There's this recognition of like what a gift it is to give myself oh. that. But as we've uncovered in other sort of avenues that our conversation took on today. I think that there's something really powerful that as, I don't think it matters who you are. I don't think it matters what color your skin is. I think that as we step more and more into that place of liberation and freedom and sovereignty, there's also a recognition that a lot of women don't have that choice mm-hmm. or don't have access to that degree of freedom and sovereignty. And so I do think it is important <clears throat> that we not only do our own work, but we look for ways to support other women in having the same experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if it's not intersectional, it doesn't fucking count. <laughs> Meaning if it, I, maybe that's a little harsh. Maybe not though. Tell me what you mean by intersectional. That I 
it can't just be white women helping white women anymore, <laughs> which is what, you know what I mean? You said something so perfect and brilliant. You said when we empower black and brown women, in turn, basically, that they empower all women. Yeah. However, that it doesn't work that way. The other way around. Right. And I guess that was the energy that was very alive for me in this moment. It's like, it's time for us to wake up to that truth as we work toward liberation for all humans. Women being <laughs> a very, very large group of them. Yeah, more than half. <laughs> that's like what are we doing <laughs> oh. that's but that's the personal work don't you think mm -hmm. that's the personal work that mm -hmm. we do is that we try to uncover and release and shed a lot of these um, you know beliefs and self-perceptions and misunderstandings and and identities that we've taken on that really aren't who we are at the yeah. core, but who we've been told we are, who we've been told we should be, who we've been told we can be. Yeah. That's our work, is to start eliminating that. But then there's this bigger picture of the systemic issues, the governmental systems that there, there's just so there's so many layers here that keep women of color trapped and you know part of my privilege as a white woman is that I don't I can do this personal work and be free of that other stuff mm -hmm. whereas a black woman for instance she could do that personal work all she wants but still you know walk into a restaurant and be racially profiled as somebody who <laughs> is gonna dine and dash yeah. Or walk into a high-end, um, you know, gift shop or clothing store and be tailed by security because they think she's going to shoplift. That's not and okay. That's not okay. And I was laughing not because that's okay. I was laughing because I was thinking of, I saw somewhere on Instagram recently the, um, like, the idea, did you really manifest that or is it your white privilege? <laughs> right. And um, it, that's just a, it's, I think that's exactly what you just said in a more humorous way. Yeah. It's like we have the luxury of being able to do all this work and that a lot of the mindset, like, and not even minimize it a little bit, but the deep, the deep work around exhuming our own internalized oppression, our limiting beliefs. Yeah sets us free and it doesn't work the same if you're not living in a white body well and I think the other truth is that if you are white and uh, you you're engaged in this um, unconscious white supremacy and white privilege and racism um, that you're not free either. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. That is trapping you as well. As and it's 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 hurting and killing women of color, people of color, every day, uh -huh. every day. Um, so this is something that we can do for ourselves, and it's something that we can do for 
people of color, and it's also something that we can do for, um, you know, our, our world. It's definitely something I am doing for my son. Mm, yes, mama. Tell me about that. You know, I, I'm just hyper aware that like the children's books out there, they're, they're almost all white characters. They're white mm. children in the books. Um, there's some good ones coming out right now though. Like, I guess I've been paying attention on Instagram, all these books that are coming out, children's books that really address racism, like directly and are actively teaching kids from a younger age about this stuff. Yeah. But if I'm going to start shining the light of awareness for my son at a very early age on his white privilege, there's got to be ways, you know, I have to illuminate that within myself so mm-hmm. that I can help him navigate that as well. Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, this work is, it's, it's just, a, it's non-negotiable. It, it's essential for the you know the health and the livelihood and the the i mean just even to hopefully reduce the amount of killings and wrongful prosecutions and all of that that are happening of people of color every single day it's just it's atrocious <clears throat> what's happening so when you say this work mm-hmm. are you meaning anti-racism work i'm yeah i'm meaning excavating your own racism yeah. mm-hmm. Great. I just wanted to make yeah. sure that we were really clear for everybody what we're talking about. Yeah, I do think that that's so essential. And then for me to be um, really aware of how my son is navigating the world and bringing this to his awareness. I mean, he's three, and I don't see him noticing that other children have different skin colors, and he doesn't, you know... He says hi to everybody. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's not a, I'll yeah. say hi to this kid, but that kid, he looks different or he looks yeah. funny or you know, I don't, something about him doesn't feel right. He's not doing that. But I think that they've shown studies, but the, by the age of five, mm-hmm. that's present. So I've got to do my work so that I can help him navigate this better than I did. And I I think that uh there's been some sweeping statements about the the you know the this generation of children that are coming into the world right now and um that sweeping statements I haven't heard that many. Tell me, can you tell well, me? Well, I'm hearing two? people say things like, you know, the the consciousness of the children, the, the, the consciousness that they are coming onto the planet already with, uh-huh. requires um, parents, and I would say mothers in particular, to really do their work. Yeah. And boy, has that been true for me. I was already doing my work, and now it's like doing my work on steroids. <laughs> yeah, you were... <laughs> Like, to frame this, like, doing the this kind of work is also what your business is about, right? Is helping other people do this work? 
not now I'm just talking about like personal growth work in general. Yes. Yeah. I uh, work with women particularly um, around health, but there are so many things that influence and impact and affect health. And um, my awareness and understanding of that is so much greater than it already was (laughs) just because of the health journey that I have been on. Um, You know, my son is three and I would say at this point in time, I am about 70% back, 70, 75. Like I have days when it's better and days when it's really not. But I would say overall, I'm about 70% back. And there's a whole lot that um, might come up for people when they hear that. Like, well, you know, you're supposed to be an expert. Like, why would I want to work with you if you're only 70% back after? Mm. Like, shouldn't you, like, what's taking so long? Are you not committed? Are you not doing all the right things? Um, I've... I've been on the receiving end of a lot of judgment. It's been really fascinating, this journey. Some people have judged me, and and it was sort of this new age judgment of um, this happened because you weren't doing your work. And this was sort of like the universe's way of forcing you to do your work. I think that's wholeheartedly unfair and erroneous and hugely judgmental. This is a very personal journey that I've been on. And I assure you that I have been doing my work before, during, and will continue for a long time. But for somebody to tell me what this is or why it's happened is inappropriate. Oh. There's been a lot of judgment about how long it's taken me, you know, to heal. And gosh, what I've learned in the process is that the healing journey is not a linear, straightforward journey. Mm -hmm. And it takes as long as it takes. And uh, it's not predictable. And I don't have ultimate control over it. I've been doing everything I know to do and then some. I've been disciplined and devoted and dedicated to this my participation in my healing process has been more than exemplary and still this is where I am today Um, and so I think there's just this something that I'm still deepening into and learning about and is this sense of acceptance like this is where I'm at I think that we should on ourselves a lot. I should be here or that shouldn't have happened or I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that and dot, dot, dot. It's like we need to get to a place of acceptance. Um, there's things that I still need to accept that are going on that I am really having a hard time accepting. <laughs> um, and there's my learning curve. There's my growth curve. Um, but I will tell you, man, can I hold a compassionate space for my clients now? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now you're really, really, really even extra powerful. I mean, which is the beauty of, you know, making soul work, your external expression into the world too. Cause like everything you go through is 
always and only ever amplifying your ability to serve. I agree. I would also say, I think that when, when that's your clear commitment mm-hmm. to do your soul work and have that be your contribution to the world, it can be really easy to step into bypassing the human experience. Mm-hmm. And there are days when I really need to be in my human experience. I need to cry. I need to yell. I have this practice where I go in my garage and I rip apart cardboard boxes. (laughs) (laughs) And I swear and I kick and I scream and I'm like, tear that box into the littlest, tiniest bits. Um, Because this human experience, sometimes it kicks our butts. Sometimes it's hard to accept. Sometimes um, it's painful. And, um, so I give that to myself too. (laughs) Definitely. Wow. I feel like there's so much I want to know still in terms of story. And I also know that it's not really that important. Like, I'm like, wow, so what, what was the timeline that all this unfolded? And like, when was the moment you finally knew? And like... There's like, we went from, (laughs) we've covered a lot of ground. Yep. But the moment that I knew what? That the relationship, well, because it sounds to me like you guys came home and you'd had the baby and you still weren't receiving the support that you needed. I think we kind of both went into survival mode. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that makes total sense. Yeah. And... Um, I, I went into survival mode, but also like fierce mama mode, like, like, uh, this is happening, but I didn't have a whole lot else to offer understandably. And I think it took good, like I said, like a good year, year and a half for me to realize like, you know, what I'm asking for very clearly, mm-hmm. what I need, what I'm saying no longer works, what I am telling him needs to evolve and change. Like something's got to give here. Something needs to change. Something ne- This needs to be better. Um, nothing. There was no movement. Nothing was happening. And finally, um, he did agree to go to therapy couples therapy with me finally I mean I think the first time I asked him was in 2011 and this is in 2017 he finally agreed and um, in the meantime I had just been doing my personal work working with the therapist working with life coaches you know like just really doing my like I'm going to work on me then and Mm -hmm. um, I remember being in the couples therapy sessions and you know mind you this was not sort of traditional couples therapy, the sessions were two and three hours long. Mm-hmm. So you could really deep dive into some things rather than sort of like just barely touch in and then it's time to go home. And yeah, well, some people can only manage an hour, you know, that's the, <laughs> as you're saying that I'm like, and there are some people for whom that kind of deep dive would be such an overwhelm for them that they would never go back. So, yeah, but I think it takes a while to even get to the point where you can start touching in on the stuff that needs to be touched in on. I mean, this is, it's like a, it's very sensitive. 
mm-hmm. ground. And you're, it's hard to do that just as an individual, but then to do it as a couple and show up, you know, each showing up with your version of what happened and your understanding of what's going on and your own baggage and your own history and all of that. And um, what I realized was that, uh, and I think quite unconsciously so, but um, I realized that the therapist was doing everything in his power to keep my husband in the room Mm. and keep him engaged. Like that's what a majority of the sessions had been about was to keep him engaged, keep him in the room. Um, and I also realized how adept my husband was at defending the status quo. Mm-hmm. And the different um, way, I saw very clearly, there's three ways that he does that. And he's very skilled at those three ways. But gosh, I can't have a relationship with mm-hmm. any of those three. Mm-hmm. there's no opportunity for intimacy. There's never going to be any growth. There's never going to be any um, true relationship like I'm really wanting. Mm-hmm. This isn't a partnership. Yeah, you're like, I want a partner. <laughs> yeah, and I realized very quickly, oh, I've been in this relationship believing that I had a partner. I've been showing up mm-hmm. as a partner and he's been like, cool, thanks. Oh. And uh, it was when I saw that and when he started blaming me. Well, I think Alicia's just incapable of being happy. I think this is just all in her head. I think uh, it's just this, this. It was kind of, it was all my fault. And I just thought, I don't see a way forward yeah. here. Um, and... I'm clear that these things aren't true. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just not on the same page. In fact, I think we're in different books at this point in time. And I, I'm exhausted and I can't keep doing this. I just can't. I can't keep doing this. I don't want to keep doing this. I trust and I still trust today that there is a different experience that I am meant to have. Mm. And I'm going to say yes to that, even though it's not showing itself yet, even though like mm. it's not here, I don't have proof, uh, but I believe that that's what I'm meant to experience. And I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to dare for that and I've learned so much here I really have I've grown so much huge life lesson Um, but I can't be in this dynamic anymore it's killing me and I would actually say that since he and I physically separated um, my health has improved about 30 percent since since that happened and that's a really huge shift. And I, I fully trust that as the divorce winds down and we bring that to completion, that my health will continue to, to improve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I am 
witnessing you and honoring you and celebrating the shit out of you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow, woman. Yeah. You have done, been through, realized Mm. so much Mm. in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And look where you are. I'm smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm. I'm clear that 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 decision a year ago today was the right decision. Um, and not an easy one and not a decision I take lately or that I took lately even at the time Um, but I firmly believe I'm going to look back you know a year from now five years from now ten years from now and just think to myself oh my god what a gift I gave myself like the woman who trusted Mm. in that moment that trusting and taking that leap of faith and choosing something different for herself, even though that different wasn't present at the time. What a courageous, bold, daring, visionary Mm. woman that was that did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that every woman has that inside of her. And it takes a lot of courage to really trust her and let her lead. Yeah, we're talking about claiming your sovereignty in the world. Yeah, exactly. And I really do believe, as you do, that every woman has that inside of her. Yeah. And... From my own experience, (laughs) which is a very privileged one, I know how challenging that journey can be. Yeah. And so where do you want to go from here? Uh, Upward. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, that's going to be what it's going to be, but... uh, Yeah. I kind of just want to be in appreciation Mm-hmm. right now um, and to me appreciation is just slightly different than gratitude um, I think sometimes we're grateful for things that have, have happened mm-hmm. and that puts things kind of in a past tense reflective state whereas for me appreciation is very much present moment mm. um, mm-hmm. this is where what I am feeling now and I'm feeling appreciation for my son and for my health and for my amazing body that has done all of these crazy contortionistic (laughs) you know things to keep me alive and for that visionary part of myself that knows she is meant for the life that she's always wanted and the partnership that she's always wanted and that that is coming 
I actually have no doubt about that. Oh. Mm. And mm -hmm. no, I'm not dating and I'm, I'm not doing any of those things. But I just have no doubt. Um, I believe that what I want wants me. And so as I, there's that part of me that's reaching out towards it, it's reaching towards me simultaneously. And I think just last week I had this sense of, um, I had actually connected hands with what I'm reaching for and what is reaching towards me, which was kind of a cool feeling. Um, yeah, and it's sort of like, I, I hear a lot of people say, what are you going to do with this one precious life? And I would say, for me, it's what am I going to do with this one precious privileged life? Um, because I am in a position of power. And how is it that I want to relate to that power? And how do I want to put it to sort of best use? And that's an ongoing exploration for me. Um, but yeah, I'm just feeling a lot of appreciation and really appreciative um, to you for having me today. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're so much more than welcome here with me in this space at any moment in time. <laughs> Thank you. To talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> oh. Is there anything that we've missed that you've wanted to touch on that we haven't touched on? Um. Gosh, there's a lot swirling kind of in my mind right now, but I don't know that there's anything that feels super important to share right now. I think there's, I think there's lots to share about, mm -hmm. but um, I also think that what has been shared here has been really diverse and really... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we went in some directions I did not expect to go in. Yeah, me too. Um, I will say that there is a woman that's doing... Um, she's a black woman. Her name is Catrice Jackson. Oh, Catrice. You know I've her. Just read, I've just read um, Antagonists, Advocates, and Allies. Yeah. I think I, sometimes I get those out of, out of order that's, when I say it. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And then she has another book called White Spaces, Missing Faces. Um, mm -hmm. She does weekend workshops. I think she's she's complete with her workshop tour for 2018, but she'll be starting again in 2019. And these are essentially workshops for white women to start unpacking their internalized racism, their white privilege, and to really start understanding um, how to... I'm trying to find the right word here. How to do less harm while existing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, I would say to do less harm. Uh, to be just to to really um, open their eyes to something that I think is long overdue. And um, she's mm -hmm. educating women of color as well. 
um, which I really, I just admire her work a lot. Um, have you been to a She Talks, We Talk workshop with Katrina? I have not yet. I have not yet. Okay. I've not been in a great position to travel. And I think when my son's just a little bit older, it'd be a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if she comes to the, I'm, I'm in Colorado. So if she comes to Denver uh, next year, I will do everything I can to attend. But yeah, you know, she's at the top. Not she's at the top of my list. Attending that workshop is at the very top of my list. Yeah, she did one in um, Brooklyn, I think, just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, she did. I didn't have any money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not. Just... Now I'm starting to generate some income. So yeah, um, but I would just say that if you know what you and I have talked about here, if you're curious about ways that you can begin to. Um, bring more awareness to this for yourself. Um, You know, I just look at what's happening in the world and a lot of the hate and the divisiveness and the confusion and the harm that's being done. Um, You know, our world is changing rapidly right now. Mm -hmm. And I just think that this is essential work. And I believe that the change that we want to see in the world, I believe it begins with us. And so that's what um, I've done. Catrice has a 30-day um, kind of like a, I don't want to call it a boot camp, but it's like an intensive that she does with white women. And then I'm just completing her year-long Journey to Allyship program, mm. um, which uh, the format of that, I think, has changed. But she's got some really great options and programs. And this is not easy work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very confronting, but I think it's confronting some things in us that need to be confronted. So I just wanted to mention her name and her work. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of amazing black women and women of color who are producing just tremendous work. And so if you have any way of supporting their voices, supporting their work, amplifying their work, um, I just want to encourage everybody to do that too. Yes, 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 yes. And while we're at it, I'll say I just attended, um, to give you another name of someone to follow, Rachel Cargill. She, I have been following the anti-racism content she produces mostly on Instagram. However, I had the pleasure and the privilege of attending an in-person intensive workshop with her um, last weekend, which it'll be longer than that now by the time this comes out. And I know that she has a tour coming up with lectures and intensive workshops. So we'll put all Catrice and Rachel's stuff in the show notes. Awesome. So everyone can go find them and pay them money. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (sighs) These women are doing tremendous work that entails a lot of emotional labor. And Mm -hmm. um, they definitely deserve to be compensated and compensated well. So... Mm -hmm. well Alicia I'm so grateful to have had you here and I think feeling most grateful because I didn't realize the conversation that we were about to have (laughs) and (laughs) how much I was about to love you even more than I already did which is already a lot Um, but I feel grateful to have realized such a sisterhood here thank you I love that I love you too thank you (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so are you ready to wrap up? I'm ready. All right. 
I'm going to invite us to take three more sensual breaths, and I'll lead this time. Great. And then when we land, will you share with me in one word where you are? Sure. Okay. So, inhale. The one word, <clears throat> excuse me, to describe how I'm feeling right now, um, put a smile on my face. Um, and I just, I just feel proud. Mm. Yeah, I feel proud. And if you could go back to one year ago today and whisper in your own ear from the woman that you are right now, what would you say to her? I would say to her, you're going to be so glad that you did this. <laughs> and it's not going to be easy, but it is going to be so worth it. Mm. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, and we're like, and we have no idea what that's gonna look like yet. I'm so excited for you to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Little things are already, you know, happening and unfolding, and you know, I think that's just it. It happens in the moment. It's not like this, like voila, big reveal, and it's all there. It, it's just meeting life <clears throat> as it's happening. And yeah. being really clear about, you know, what you let in and what you don't and where you focus your energy and your attention and where you don't. And, um, but, yeah, it feels really good to be so capable of meeting mm. life that way. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Alicia Morrow, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ty.